You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back this time, and we are looking at the Umbrella Academy. That's right, the Netflix show that last came for us for two seasons so far. Season three will be off sometime in the distant future, but it should be a lot of fun. And it's based off the Dark Horse comic series. So it should be even more interesting to see who's seen it, who's watched it, who's read it. So it should be a lot of fun to do. And speaking of an Umbrella Academy, this man was born out of nowhere also, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! Are you ready for Little Umbrella Academy, sir? Beware my superpower. Oh, I do. You know, do I have to start wearing a monocle just to be around you? Let's let's just say, uh, you know, Umbrella Academy. Uh, they've got rumor that you know always says I, I heard a rumor. Um, my mm-hmm. uh, my superpower starts with uh, I I record a podcast. Really, that's a good idea. <laughs> or it could be even worse. Every time you say howdy, that's your magic power. Yeah, that would be that would be that. That would be the one I would get, sure. Oh, of course it would be. And of course we'd love to hear from you guys at home. If you guys, you know, want to talk about Umbrella Academy or anything else, please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. And why we definitely would like to hear from you, we'd also love to hear from you guys up on social media. We have a great group up on Facebook in the ESO Network group. We also have Earth Station One as a page up on Facebook, and we also have ESO Network up on Instagram. We have Earth Station One up on Twitter and blah, 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 all those other places too. But we definitely, you know, would also like to ask you guys, please rate us up on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all those other places where you listen to us from. We're up now, of course, on Pandora. You know, there's plenty of places you could hear Earth Station One. Please rate us. Give us some stars. That's how other folks find us. That's how people find out about Earth Station One. And that way we could find out what you guys want and what you guys want to hear, what you guys want us to talk about. You know, it's just how we get it out there. And it's pretty awesome how you do that and everything. And we thank you for everyone who has done that. And speaking of doing that already, please, 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 we have a Patreon account. That's right. We want to thank, of course, all our friends out there who are on Patreon. And let's thank Robert Young, one of our patrons out there. Thank you so, so much for helping support the ESO Network. And Earth Station One is a proud member of the ESO Network. And for as little as 25 cents a week, you could become a patron too. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Also, before we forget... Let's thank our big friends up at Tafosi Optics. Tafosi Optics has a great pair of sunglasses with your name on it. All you have to do is go to tafosioptics.com and through the month of September, this has been confirmed that if you go to Tafosi Optics, you buy a pair of sunglasses, they will donate a face shield for a teacher or a frontline um person who is working on the, in the medical field or something who has to, you know, be in the public, Tifosi Optics is going to be donating, you know, for first responders, a face shield. That's pretty awesome. And not just a mask. 
we mean a full face shield. I think that's pretty awesome. And their sunglasses are only 20 bucks each, folks. That's not too bad. So you can get a pair of sunglasses at a really good price. And you know what? If you put in the coupon code ESO Network, you also get an extra 10% off. It's pretty awesome. All you have to do, Tifosi Optics. Pretty cool. All right, folks, we now got an interview. Mike, you ready to talk to this gentleman? Oh, He's going yes. to be, he is going to talk your ear off. Yeah, people are going to be surprised, actually, he can speak. And now we are here with a special guest uh, that's joining us. Uh, we are very excited. Uh, Jack O'Halloran, actor, boxer, extraordinaire, uh, is with us. Jack, welcome to the station. Thank you. Um, I, I thank you again for being here. Just uh, very excited to have you. And uh, I just want to jump right into it, if you don't mind, uh, talking about your illustrious career. Um, certainly, uh, after your success as a boxer, you made the transition in the 70s to, to acting. Um, my understanding is your first role was uh, in Farewell, My Lovely White with Robert, Robert Mitchum. That's correct. Yeah. That's that's like man. That's a big start. Like <laughs> you jumped well, right you know, in. I right? tell you, it's funny. They, they, when I was um, when I first started boxing in the first year, I was up in Boston, and uh, they came to Boston to do the Thomas Crown Affair with Steve McQueen. Okay. And we took care of Steve when he was there. He and I became really good friends. And he said, "Come on down on the set, man." He said, "I'll put you in the movie. Get you your SAG card." Come back to Hollywood, man. We're going to have a ball. You know, and I said, uh, I'm undefeated as everywhere. I, I don't think that uh, my management crew would appreciate that too much. And uh, I don't think this, uh, I'm ready for this kind of, uh, you know, and, and I liked the sport that I was doing. So yeah, we stayed friends and he did a picture called Towering Inferno. His name was Captain O'Halloran. He called me up. He, How do you like your name up on the screen? And then in 1969, I had just knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was ranked number two in the world. And we were looking for an Ali fight, and they offered me the Great White Hope with James Earl Jones. And the deal was put together by some people from the East Coast, Raymond Patriarca, with Fox to get me off the streets. So it would take me to South America for six months. And I said, you want me to go away for six months, and I'm getting looking to fight Ali? And... I think I'll pass. And the guy said, I thought the deal was already done. You were just supposed to sign the contract. And, and I said, eh. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Raymond. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And I was leaving the studio. And James Earl Jones was walking up the steps. I was walking down the steps. And I'll show you how fast rumors run around. Mm-hmm. Because The Great White Hope was the biggest movie in Hollywood at the time. And James Earl Jones stopped me and said, Jack O'Hara. And I said, yeah, you're James Earl Jones. And he said, is it true what I heard about you? I said, depends on what you heard. He said, you just told Hollywood to take the biggest movie being made and stick it? I said, well, I guess if you want to look at it, he said, I got to shake your hand. I never met anybody that done that before. And we became pretty good friends. And, uh, and then McQueen called me up. He said, what are you doing with it? So, you know, then when I retired from fighting and they offered me Farewell, my lovely, with Mitchum. And I said, uh, you know, maybe it's time. And I, he flew me out to Hollywood and I did a screen test. And Mitchum said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. Wow. Wow. And you had never done any any sort of acting before? None whatsoever. Mitchum wow. was my mentor. Really? He was great. That's not a bad guy to have. 
No, no, it worked out pretty well. Let me tell you, he took me by the hand. He showed me the ropes, boy, and uh, never looked back. You know. Wow, I, I am a, uh, I'm a big fan of film noir, and especially of Robert Mitchum. And that that version of Pharaoh, my lovely, is excellent. And you're great as Moose. It's just, it's like the part was written for you. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I did the movie, and uh, friends of mine from the East Coast and the street guys called me on the phone, and they said. They actually paid you to do that movie? I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, that's you walking down the street. He said, you know, they paid you to be yourself. I said, well, that's what acting's all about there, Sunshine. And they, uh, it was, uh, yeah, that was probably the, the first mistake I made in the industry because Johnny Carson, Mitchum set up for me to do the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. And I met Johnny Carson at the Polo Lounge and, he said, you come on my show, I'm going to get you nominated for supporting actor because you did a brilliant job in the movie. And Robert and I think you should win an award. And uh, and then I sat there and I thought about it. I said, uh, but your show is live, isn't it? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I don't know whether I could do it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm going to come on your set and you're going to ask me about my father and I'm going to ask you where the men's room's at. He said, you would get up and leave? And I said, I think so. And he said, well, I said, well, we won't, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a list of questions that we'll ask you. And, you know, and I said, John, no disrespect, but you're the biggest news reporter in, in, in the country right now. And you have Albert Anastasia's son sitting on your set and you're not going to ask me about my father. And I, and I don't let anybody talk about my father. And, you know, he said, that was a mistake. Mitchum called me and screamed at me. Mm-hmm. Are you crazy? He said, Hollywood loves all that stuff. What's the matter with you? I said, that's why you told them everything about me. And uh, thank you very much. So uh, it was a mistake. But you know what? You live and learn. Just, uh, you don't cry over spilled milk. You just keep going. Was it was, so overall making the movie was a pretty good experience for you? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was a great cast. I mean, Charlotte Rampling's a beautiful lady and, and a wonderful person. And John Ireland, Harry Dean Stanton, and Anthony Zerby. Uh, and Stallone had a small part. In fact, Stallone came out from New York with Joe Spinell, and uh, they brought a whole bunch of people, Jimmy Archer's brother, Joey Archer's brother, Jimmy, and uh, they, uh, they they were like the fill-ins, you know? They did all the little bit parts. Right. And Stallone was writing a script, and he sat down and picked my brain, and I gave him the Rocky story. I was going to say, let me guess, what that... <laughs> he was he was writing a boxers movie and he was talking so he'd never been to Philadelphia you know, and I so I and I told him about the waterfront and, and I was the gangster fighter from Philadelphia. And uh so he 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 wrote uh, you know, God bless him, you know, whatever. So so you go from Farewell My Lovely and then you get uh was it King, King Kong shortly? King after Kong, that? yeah. Yeah, that was a big production too, man. You didn't do anything small. Yeah, no, King Kong was a, was a huge production. And, you know, it's amazing. When I when I got in the industry, I never read for anything. They, people called me up and, please come and do this, you know. So I guess I did a pretty good job in Farewell, My Love. And, uh, King Kong, they offered me one of, like, four different roles to do. And uh, so I, you know, we did Kong, and, uh, and we were doing Kong, they – came to me to do a picture, uh, March or Die, with uh, Gene Hackman and Catherine Deneuve and, and, and a young Italian kid that uh, became, was a huge star in Italy, Terrence Hill. Uh, 
and, uh, mm. and Max Van Cheetow, Ian Holm. I mean, what another great cast. You know, and then when I was doing, getting ready to go down and do that, they came and uh, begged me to do the Bond movie. And, oh, uh, right, right. To be Jaws? Cubby, Cubby and his son flew in. and I was around the corner celebrating Mitchum's birthday. We were having lunch around the corner. And he said, uh, I said, I think I have to go around to my agent's office, Bob, because uh, these guys are flew in from England and they're waiting to talk to me. He said, about what? I said, they want me to do the Bond movie. He said, did you read the script? I said, yeah. He said, did you like it? I said, not much. He said, then what are you, what are you worried about? I tell him no. He said, you know, you're going down to Spain to do that other picture, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, so I, you know, and I, I, I got out of it because I was doing, I probably could have got out of March or Die. But, uh, when I was doing March or Die, they came to me to do Superman. You know, the, Gene Hackman and I were down in Spain and they, Donner and then flew us up to London to meet with Richard Donner. And uh, <clears throat> we discussed the Superman movie. And the Donner said to me, do you mind uh, doing a role of a mute guy? And I said, uh, I, I relish it. I said, I love the idea. That's why I'm here. He said, you, it's not bothering you? I said, no. I said, Jackie Gleason is a friend of mine. He did a picture called Gigo and won an Oscar for playing a mute guy. And I said, if I ever get an opportunity to do a film where I have facial expression and body language, I would embrace it. And Superman was a great, great film to pick because you had Turn Stamp was a vicious general. Sarah was a man eater. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to relate to the kids, to children, you know, because it was a big children audience. So I said, I'm going to take this big brutish guy and I'm going to play him like a child learning how to walk and learning how to use his eyes and stuff because they had, Nan was a brilliant scientist that they lobotomized. And that's why he was a mute. So I said, you know, let's, let's take advantage of it. And, you know, and I'll play this, this big guy like, like a kid. And it worked really well because kids just went crazy. It's someone, they had someone to reflect to, you know what I mean? Right, right. So many people come up to me Remember when I did my first Comic-Con and people come up to me and said, my God, you can actually speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that I, is awesome. I, I say I that's have done a pretty good job, man, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the first time I, I saw you. And, uh, and that was, I was right at that age. Superman two made it in and, and the first Superman movie as well. Cause people forget that you're in that too. Although briefly, are you yeah. actually, um, were you actually on set with Brando? Yeah, yeah. Brando was, uh, Brando, Brando and I were very good friends. He was, uh, he's a New York kind of guy and he, and he knew my father. And, uh, when I, when he was coming to do the film, because the first 11 days were Brando to get the money. They shot Brando. All this stuff was done in 11 days. And, oh, uh, wow. and when he, he came, Mitchum said to me, get out of there and tell that bum I said hello. And so I went down to meet him when he came on the set and he was surrounded by press people. He saw me, he just ran through people and he come over and he said, Hey, I've been dying to meet you. And I said, Robert Mitchum said I should hit you in the head. <laughs> so we became good friends and he was, Brando was just an amazing, amazing. I mean, when he walked on the set, you could hear a pin drop, you know, he was just a tremendous, uh, such a great actor, yeah, such a great presence. presence. 
What was the experience like on Superman 2 with the whole thing with Donner and everything? Well, you know, Donner is a great director. And, uh, and he lived, ate, and slept Superman. And they, they didn't want to pay him. You know, they, 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 the Salkinds were such fools because we had already shot 85% of Superman 2. We had to stop filming because when we were filming, we were filming one and two together. And right. we right. had to stop filming because they had to release one. And uh, but you saw, you know, Lester had showed up on the set and I said, you know, I said to Hockman, what, what, what's going on here, man? He said, ah, they, these guys owe him a picture and he's just coming around. I said, nah, there's more than that to it. And sure enough, they, you know, but so, you know, how do you cut Marlon Brando out of a movie? You know, Superman <laughs> 2, the Lester cut, Brando's not in it. And they right. didn't want to pay him the points. They had already paid him the money because he got $4 million to do 11 days work. But they didn't want to pay him the points for two, so they cut him out. But then they put him back in the Donner cut. And that's why the Donner cut's so much better. I don't know if you guys ever saw the Donner cut. If you yep, haven't. I've seen that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I do, I, it. yeah. I, yeah I, I, and it's I, sad that, you know, he didn't, he couldn't finish it if he'd had the ending he wanted. And if, if, they'd have kept, if Donner would have came back, he'd have done three, four, five, six. He'd have done, you know, because he and Mankiewicz, they just loved Superman. They were, I mean, he, Richard did the comic books up, but he still, he still does them, I think. And they, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it was really, just really sad with uh, the way, and they should have, I, you know, it's actually, I blame Christopher because if Chris Reeves would have stood up and said, no, Donner, no me, but he was young wow. and it was the first big movie he ever did. Mm-hmm. And they bullied him a lot and they paid him a lot of money. And, you know, he, uh, but if he just stood up and said, no, Donner, no me, then they would have had to bring Donner back. And it would have been a much better deal all the way across the board. But yeah, I Ackman so. never came back. I almost didn't go back. Yeah, was, the quality uh, of the movies really, really goes down after two. Like, I mean, unfortunately. Well, after like, two, three was Lester directed three <laughs> yeah. himself. Two, he had all Donner stuff to play with. And yet, when a director takes over a movie, they have to shoot 50% of the movie or they can't put their name on it. So we went back and reshot a lot of things, but he had the flow of it from Donner. You know what I'm saying to you? Some of the Donner stuff was left in there. And the yeah, mixtures. a lot of it was. Yeah. So, the you know, it was, uh, Dick was just, Dick was a brilliant director. He is a brilliant director. It's just sad that he didn't get a chance to do what he wanted. And it, it hurt the franchise. I mean, the franchise would have been much better. And you're right. Three was terrible. Four was diabolical. <laughs> Four was so bad. War was so bad that Warner Brothers didn't even do it. Warner Brothers it was Canon. Canon Films did it. That's right. That's right. We oh, did. Wow, uh, really? You know, we, right. I I think a, a bunch of people like you know take for granted superhero movies now, but uh, Superman was really the first one. Oh yeah, we broke took, a lot of technology rules yeah, that man. that took um, that took superheroes seriously, uh, put them in a real life environment. You, the the tagline was "You will believe a man can fly." Um, was it was on set and everything? Did it seem risky, or did it ever? Well, been a scene? you know, I, no, you know the, the 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 beauty of it was, you know, you have to understand that Superman was the first American superhero. Mm-hmm. I mean, it originated in America. You know what yeah. I'm saying? The comic books sure. and everything, 
And uh, the flying shots we did, a lot of them when we did like the big fight scene and everything, we shot Vista, we broke technology rules. We shot Vista Vision on Vista Vision. We had a, a big 70 foot screen and pole arms come out of it. And then it was a body mold at the end of the pole arm. And we laid in that and they dressed us. They dressed us while we laid in the mold. And then we had, we had movements where we could turn sideways up and down like this. And we flew under bridges around buildings and, uh, and they shot us into the movie. So it was long and tedious to do, but mm -hmm. they broke a technology rule. It wasn't CGI. We are actually shoot, shot inside the movie. And it, mm -hmm. I mean, that's why it's so good. It stands up even today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The restoration and everything. I mean, like, it looks, yeah, it looks great. It looks like it could have been made yesterday. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's just, and the, the fact that it's done with the old American way. You're not killing everybody. You know, they were actually putting <laughs> people in jail and stuff. And, you know, uh, the, the films of the superhero movies today are getting darker and darker and darker. So we're coming up with a couple scripts and we, we had an idea of going to Warner Brothers and trying to bring Christopher back with uh, with a hologram, you know, and bring the three really? villains. We have a great storyline for it. And I think maybe one day we might just accomplish it. So we'll see. We're working. Yeah, well, it. you know, I mean, those guys uh, don't technically die, right? They just get thrown into a pit. So. Well, yeah, we never, <laughs> we, 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 you know, the, the, uh, <laughs> Their superpowers were stripped away, and there was car. We did a scene where we were actually put in a, in a police car, and and taken off to jail. You know? Oh wow! Really? Yeah, we had that footage. It was already shot. Where we when we fell into the abyss, there was a shot where they took us out and they put us in in the police cars because we got stripped of our power because of that thing that went on inside the chamber with uh, with uh, with Superman. When he mm. thought he was losing his powers, but it was reverse side around. So I've got a thing that we're all in jail, and I've got a storyline that another planet's involved, and and it was a sister planet of Krypton, and and we get our powers back, and we, and, and it changes our DNA to a better thinking process, and we become allies of Superman to fight all these criminals coming from outside of of, of Earth, you know. And so mm -hmm. it's, it would be a and of course, Nan's going to learn how to talk again. You know, oh, of course, of course. I, I'm actually surprised because the the people that do like the Superman TV show that's coming out now and Supergirl, they seem to really get a kick out of bringing old actor its characters back, that kind of thing. I'm surprised. Have you been approached by like anybody? Yeah, a while ago when they were doing Super Super Superboy or whatever it was, I forget uh -huh. when they first did the thing and. I was doing something. I don't know what I was doing. I know Terrence, Terrence did it voiceover. And, uh, that's right. Right. Oh, the, the Smallville show. Christopher right? did a voiceover. Yeah. Uh, Chris was it. Chris was in a wheelchair then. And they, he did a, he did a voiceover. And, yeah. You know, the, but, uh, you know, I couldn't have done a voiceover because none didn't speak. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been all, it would have been all, <laughs> See, it's Jack. He still gets credit for it, though. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, awesome. you know, I mean, man, you came out of the, the the 70s and early 80s doing a lot, a lot of really big movies. Yeah, Dragnet was a great film. Dragnet, we had a yeah. lot of fun with Dragnet. With that. It was a breakout film for Tom Hanks. And, uh, we, uh, it was just, uh, I mean, Danny Aykroyd was brilliant. He, 
you could watch Dragnet 50 times and you still won't get all the one-liners that Ackroyd throws out. <laughs> you know, he just kept spitting them out, you know. It was, it was great. We had a lot, it was a lot of fun. It was fun making the movie. Christopher Plummer was in it. A lot of, another good cast. Yeah, it's it's more of a comedy, but yet you can really tell that Aykroyd has a lot of respect for Jack Webb. Oh, like, he walked around with an earpiece in his ear all the time, you know. He, oh yeah. And he, oh yeah, mm-hmm. listening to Webb, so he had it down pat, you know. And he was <laughs> he was uh, it was good. It, it worked out. I I liked it. I enjoyed the film a lot. I liked it, it was good. Mm-hmm. Any other highlights from uh, those times? Uh, you did a lot of TV, right? Did some TV. I didn't really like TV. I, I was offered a whole bunch of it, and I, you know, I just. Then we did, a, I did, we did a great picture called "The Baltimore Bullet," which oh, yeah. Jimmy Coburn and Omar Sharif and Bruce Boxleitner's first movie. But they did. They had a terrible distribution at the back end of it, and it, it never got it. Was because it, it was actually quite a good movie. It was about uh, shooting. We shot the nine ball tournament actually on uh, the set of MGM. Mm-hmm. And all, every pool hustler in the country was there, Moscone, everybody. And we had, I mean, we had a lot of fun. It was, that, was a, that was a fun movie. Omar Sharif was, was another brilliant actor and a super, super nice person. You know, so we had, and then I did a picture with Chuck Norris, Hero in the Terror, which was probably the best thing he ever did as an actor. <laughs> and that, that worked out not too bad, but yeah. We're getting ready to do some stuff now. We got. Uh, I was going to say you're still working, man. That's that's not like it's all in the past. I I see a lot. Like when I pulled up your uh, credit list here, there's a lot of things in production now. Yeah, and we've got a. I've written a book called Family Legacy, and we're getting ready to. We're getting ready to do a mini series and a series with that. We're going to incorporate it with another book on Charlie Luc- Lucky Luciano, and we're going to put all the material, and we're going to, you know, make the Godfather look you know, like it's about a hundred feet above it. We're going to tell the truth about a lot of things that happened in the country and use all the real names of people because we mm. have the right to do that. So that's going to be, that's a big project. Then we're building a studio in Nevada. We're going to build a 4 million square foot studio over Nevada, which is, which is oh, wow. really oh, necessary. Wow. Should have been done years ago where everything will be under one roof. Every technology you can think of is borrowed for, Film, music, television, streaming, uh, database, everything, water body, everything will be in one place. And then we're putting a smart city next to it that'll house about 30,000 people that'll all work at the studio. So they only have like 15 minutes to go to work instead of traveling hours one way each day, you know. So it's uh, much more cost effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about being cost effective. Putting out better product, you know. Where are you in that process right now, putting this together? Well, it's all together. If it wasn't for this pandemic, we'd already been broken ground, you know. Mm. Oh wow! Once we break ground, we're going to double crew. We're going to work around the clock because we're up in Apex, which is outside of Las Vegas, about 15 miles in north North Las Vegas, and so we can Mm -hmm. work right around the clock, and we'll build the place very quickly. We've got some great architects and everybody's ready to rock and roll. And we're just uh, finishing it up with all the banking and everything. And, you know, like I said, if it wasn't for the pandemic and everybody being scared to death of 
moving a dime, you know. So, but it's working out now. Things are starting to loosen up. Thank God. It could. We're it can make a big difference. The election. That's why. It can. It can make a big difference. Certainly, you know, since uh, Atlanta opened its arms to studios and filming down here. Yeah, what Tyler? Tyler's uh, Tyler's guy, but he's doing non-union stuff, you know, and he's uh, he's got his niche. He's doing really well. He's making a lot of money. And he's putting out uh, some independent product, you know. And he's uh, he's he's a great hustler. He got started on the Oprah Winfrey show, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he wrote a book, and Oprah Winfrey just pushed him right down the street. And he and he's a very talented man. He's a very talented guy. God bless him. Yeah, that is absolutely. awesome. We also have some of the other big studios here too now yeah so pinewood open when you know when pinewood opens a studio in georgia you do everybody take notice so the only um, problem they had is uh, uh, to be honest with you like on the east coast and i started started in north carolina you know 15 20 years ago they built those studios there and the then they went to georgia yeah. then they went to florida work to right states you know the right to work states and the the problem they have is that when you build a studio you don't realize how much work you've got to bring into that studio to make it work. Mm-hmm. And the problem you have is the technicians. You don't have that many technicians living in the state of Georgia or living in the state of uh, North Carolina. They live in California and they were coming back and forth, leaving their families and going to there. And then Louisiana opened up and they were going to Louisiana and they tried it in Arizona and they failed because they were going, they were chasing tax deals. They, they did tax deals in North Carolina and then in Georgia. But what they, what, what you, what, what happened was producers were chasing the tax deal. When the films were going out there and they didn't have enough technicians, they had to fly them in from California. That meant that they had to house them and feed them and flight them in and everything. So they ate the tax deal up. And then when they had a problem on the, on the film, they were tearing pages out of scripts to make the budgets work. Mm-hmm. So you wound up with some, you know, not great product, unfortunately. And it's, uh, it's kind of, it's a tough thing, boy. You know, they had a great studio they tried to put up in Massachusetts down at the Cape and uh, nice area, great place, but the weather, you know, it gets, oh, yeah. it's a little oh, chilly yeah. in the wintertime up there. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the film industry came to California for a reason, the sunshine, you know? It's true. So it's, uh, but now the state has gotten so wacky, wacky, and going to Nevada, and the deal we have in Nevada is going to be brilliant because we've, we're, we're, we've got a 45% tax deal, and we're not asking the state to write a check off of their budget. We're not infringing on that. We're doing what you call a tax rateable deal which means that the business that we bring in will take a portion of the taxation of that. And we can do it. And you put a a 45% deal out for filmmakers. They're going to chase you all around the world for it to come in, especially Mm -hmm. if you have a place where everything can be done under one roof. So it's going to change the complexion of the industry tremendously. 
Yeah. And it already, yeah, that, I can see where that would happen. I mean, like I said, it doesn't, it just, you know, it doesn't take long. I know with Atlanta, it only took like a few things and all of a sudden it just changed the landscape here. And, and I saw it, the reverse happen in Orlando when I lived there like 20, 25 years ago, they tried to make it like Hollywood tried South. Tried to make it, it down there. Yeah. Yep, and it just, like you said, there wasn't enough people there to support the industry. No, they so. tried in Puerto Rico. Puerto yeah. Rico, they shot a lot of commercials in Puerto Rico. And down oh, really? St. Thomas and places, you know, they, they put little studios down there and they think because they put up a couple sound stages that they're going to, but you, you have to have a tremendous amount of business around the clock to make things like that really work and work well. You know what I'm saying? It makes, it makes you, total you, sense, actually. Yeah. I mean, uh, if we, when we do what we're going to do, I assure you, Fox, Warner Brothers, Universal, everybody will move into Nevada. Because it'll all be there. Everything they need is there. You know, all the technicians will be there. They'll run out of California and they'll come over to Nevada in a heartbeat. So it's, uh, you know, it's going to change the industry. I mean, we don't have a water body in California. They had one, James Cameron built one down in in Baja, California, when he did uh, the, uh, what you call it, picture, the Titanic. Oh, that's right. There wasn't a big enough pool. The, the biggest pool was over in London at the 007. They didn't, they, they, the only pool they had here was MGM, the Esther Williams pool. We did King Kong, the log scene and all we did, you know, but a lot of it we shot in Hawaii, but we did some scenes on the Esther Williams pool where we fell off the log and everything, but mm-hmm. they, uh, they just don't have a water body to do water proper like islands and stuff like that you know so we're going to build all that in nevada and it's uh it, it'll be good yeah that's really that's very exciting very exciting i also yeah i want to touch back on i mean you mentioned it briefly but uh people just need to know that you've got a book out there and like you said Great i'm book. really excited that's actually uh, a very very good book yeah. yeah and that's it that's now that's not like that my understanding is that's not like your story. Your, it's not so, like stories about Hollywood, right? That's stories about your family, right? Oh yeah. We, uh, it, it tells the truth about, I mean, I wrote the book. It goes from my father's death in 57 to Kennedy's death. And I tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. Which did everybody you... has done taken. Uh, you have so many theories, conspiracy theories and stuff. Mm-hmm. about what really happened down there and why it happened and you know and you just there's there's certain elements of it that that are so true and it's there for people to see but the people are so bamboozled by the media you know uh, if you were if i asked you when jack kennedy died who was the number one cop in the country bobby kennedy bobby kennedy was the attorney general Four right. people went to see Bobby Kennedy before his brother went to Dallas and said, do not let your brother go to Dallas. The animosity down there is horrendous. And Bobby was his brother's second skin everywhere he went. He never went to Dallas. He didn't go before, during, or after. He knew his brother wasn't hmm. coming home. And his father... Wow. See, Jack, what people don't, they never have told the truth about is that Jack Kennedy would not have lived out his term. He was dying of Addison's disease and three other diseases. They used to have to shoot him up every day. Well, Addison's I knew he was ill. Is deterioration yeah. of your back, you know, 
he suffered a lot. He was in a lot of pain, Jack. You know, was, well, I knew I Jack, Jack was where I knew Jack was wearing like a brace most of the time. All you the know, time. Because of yeah, this. his back yeah. was deteriorating. He was in trouble. You know, he had uh, and he had he had a couple other diseases as well. And his father, his father would rather see him die the way he died than die with a medical condition that would put a mark against the family. And you could say, wow, man, that's awful cold. You know, but take a look, go back in history and look what he did to his daughter. His daughter suffered from ADD before any doctors had any knowledge of it, and he lobotomized her. Jack's sister sat in an institution 70 years of her life looking Mm -hmm. out a window. Did you know that? Yeah, well, I'm from Massachusetts, so yeah, the the Kennedy family. It's like, you know, yeah, that's a it's a very unique, a very unique thing that over the, well, out there. They, you know, people don't realize that you know the truth of things has to come out, and every ten years, more truth comes out. Like the fact that the one bullet theory is total bull. Jack Kennedy was shot three times, and the the, the bullet in his back, no one talked about it for fifteen years. He got shot in his lower back when he fell down. There were 13 shots fired that day. The first shot hit Conley, and Conley fell forward, and Jack got hit in the throat from a shot from the from the, a cauldron in the street alongside as they w- come down the Dealey Plaza. There was a cauldron there that was big enough for me to walk from the river to the street in. And oh, wow. there was a guy from Chicago that was there with a rifle and shot Kenny, when you see him grab his throat like that, and mm-hmm. then he fell forward. He got shot in his lower back, and then the driver, Greer, turned around and shot him in, in the front, and then you see him Joe backwards, and the back of his head blew out. So if he's being shot from the window behind him, how the back of his head going to blow out? Yeah, understand? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's lo- being shot, and, and the fallacy of, of Oswald taking the shots from the window, Oswald wasn't even in the building. And uh, there was a jail right across from the board, from the bird building and where prisoners were looking straight at that window. And there were three guys in the window, two dark complected, which were Cuban and another guy. And the, the rifle was a mail order rifle. Now, if you know anything about guns at all, to take a shot of that distance accurately, if you're a sniper, if you're a shooter, to take a shot of any of, of thousand feet of that accuracy with the wind that was hit down there, the trees, the signs, the car was moving in a decline. You have to take all the variables in place. You have to take 60 seconds to arrest your heart because your pulse is in your finger. And you're telling me that you took three shots with a bolt action rifle in 28 seconds? Please. No, that's bullshit. They may have shot the gun, but they made the noise. Mm-hmm. But there was no accuracy mm-hmm. of who they were shooting or what they were shooting. And you had Zabruder, who took the footage of the film, the Zabruder film. He was standing right. up high and he suffered from vertigo. He had two women holding his legs and he never took his finger off the button because the film was already sold to Life magazine for $150,000 before it was ever shot. Hmm. Really? You understand? Yeah. That part, I, that part I had not heard. The Zabruder film didn't show for yeah. a year. And the film, it was altered because it was it was processed at the Murchison. Murchison family owned all the labs, owned all the radio stations, television stations, 
all the newspapers in, in Texas. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, they took it in, and developed it at a Murchison lab. And there was footage that was taken out. There's two different versions of the Zabruder film. There were nine frames cut out of the first version. And it shows the driver, it shows that the real Zabruder footage, it shows the driver turning and shooting. And people say, well, how come no one said anything about it? It's because it all happened in 28 seconds. The confusion mm -hmm. and pandemonium down there was crazy. People were oh, running God, all yeah. over the place. Oh, yeah. Because there were 13 shots fired. It wasn't just one shot or two shots. There were pop, pop, pop all over the place. You know, and, and, the, mm -hmm. and the car, instead of the car speeding up and running, and if you look at the Zabruder footage, you'll see the security guys, the Secret Service guys, peeling away from Kennedy's car before the bullets started. And as soon as the shot started, they had to run back up to the car. And when she was trying to climb out the back and they said that she was trying to scrape his brains, that's a bunch of bow. She was trying to get out of the car because she thought they were going to kill her next. And when they yeah. took her oh. out of the car, they whispered in her ear, if you say one word about what you just experienced, your children are in trouble. And she never, ever spoke a word about any of it, ever. But she had it wow. in her diary. And her son, after she died, her son got her diary from the guy that she was living with, and he was coming to Hollywood to make a movie of it, and they killed him. Hmm. So he died so, in a plane crash. So that that that's I yeah I didn't know all of that is in your book as well. So that's in that's all is that all in Family Legacy? Oh, that we we Dealey Plaza is yeah. What what happened down at Dealey Plaza? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at. I was at Murchison's house the night before. There was a party there called you know, Egyptian Nights, and it was for Hoover. Hoover was a guest of honor, and right. they were. And they all came back from Fort Worth. Johnson was over greeting Kennedy, who landed in Fort Worth, and he came back into the party like at twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, and they all went into one room, you know. And and I left, and I was there. Meyer Lansky had arranged for me to go there because he wanted me to see who was there and for education. And I went there on the premise that I was going to play for the Dallas Cowboys. It was Clint Murchison Jr. owned the, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So and I met the bankers from, from uh, the, the world. The world leading banker was there and I met a lot of people there. It was, uh, you know. Well, every, it's pretty well known, though, that Jay Egger didn't, have a thing that he did not like the Kennedys at all. So, well, he he didn't like him because uh, had Jack Kennedy been reelected, he probably would have been out of a job. Gotcha. And Jay Hoover, Jay Hoover was uh, uh, my father in 1939. Handed over Lewis Lipke. Lewis Buckholder Lipke was his partner in Murder Incorporated, and. Uh, he uh, gave a guy a beating that he should have killed. And the guy became the very first rat. Ava, Ava, uh, he became the first rat and put 11 guys on death row. And uh, he was the most sought after guy in the country. And my father hit him for a couple of years. And they finally turned around and said, you got to turn yourself into the feds. You're costing us a fortune. So he <laughs> went from my father's car to Hoover's car and Walter Winchell actually brokered the deal and he went from my father's car to hoover's car 
and uh, all of a sudden the, the FBI grabbed the most wanted guy in the country and they got funding and popularity and all that jazz, you know? Oh, wow. And there was a relationship that was sealed right then and there between Hoover and, uh, and, and Hoover stood up early in the, like in the early 50s and said, there's no such thing as organized crime in New York. Nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about that. Yeah. Wow. Hello. <laughs> oh, well, hello there. <laughs> and he never really did anything, anything outrageous against the families until the Appalachian thing. After my father's death in 57, Genovese put that Appalachian thing together where all these guys are running through the woods and all, you know, up in mm-hmm. New York there. And they, and that's when the FBI came out and said, oh, my God. Then they come, Bobby Kennedy went after you know, when Jack got elected president, his father made him attorney general and said to him, put all my good friends in jail. And if it wasn't for Sam Giancana, Jack Kennedy would have never been nominated, nor would he have been elected. Wow. President of the United States. Hmm. When they were running for, when he was running, the nomination was running out here in California. And Joe Kennedy told everybody that they had all the electoral votes wrapped up. Two days out here in California, he called Sam Giancano on the phone because he was under thumb to Chicago and he didn't like that. Called him on the phone and he said, um, I need your help. And Sam said, you said you had this thing all wrapped up. What are you talking about? I already stood up for you in New York because they, they own Nixon. They wanted Nixon to be president. And Kennedy, you know, so they, anyway, Sam Giancano for the very first time Illinois and two other states around it went Democrat. And boom. And then the fourth, third day, Joe called back. He said, we're still a little bit in trouble. And there was only one state left that had enough electoral votes to push him across the border. And that was West Virginia. And West Virginia, for a little state, has a lot of electoral votes because of the mining and the money down there. And we had some illegal casinos down there. So some phone calls were made by the Cellini family to certain people and debt was excused and West Virginia raised their hand and Jack Kennedy got nominated. Wow. Wow. So wow. That, and then yeah. you had a guy in Texas, you know, the Texas guys, the oil guys in Texas were had a business called surplus oil where they made a lot of money and there was no taxation on it. And when Jack Kennedy became president, his father whispered in his ear and said, you know, those guys down there are making a fortune off of the surplus oil. You got to levy a tax on them. And that tax cost them two, three hundred million dollars a year. So they weren't too happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And H.L. Uh, Hunt, when, when Jack was nominated in California, H.L. Hunt came out and gave Joe Kennedy a suitcase full of money for Johnson to run as his vice president. Hmm. So they backstabbed everybody along the line there. You know what I mean? Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, and all this stuff needs to be told. The truth yeah. needs to be told. Oh, Absolutely. It, and and is this all in your book, Jack? A lot of it is. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could go on, but, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of listeners are going to be like, wow, Non can really speak, and he speaks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, oh, Jack. We will, we will have a link up to, to on our show notes for, for your book and everything. Because uh, it's, uh, it's up on Amazon still and everything. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's family leg. You go right to the site, familylegacythenovel.com. And we're getting cool. ready to, in another 30 days, we're putting out another book. And then we're going to, we have the Charlie Luciana, Last Testament of Charles Luciana. His son's a friend of mine in New York. And uh, we're going to in, integrate that with, uh, it's too much material. We were going to do a movie, but uh, a mini series will be much better. It'll cover a lot of things better. And then we'll do a, go into a series. And the series will make Boardwalk Empire, Sopranos, then look like child's game, you know? Yeah. Wow. That would be, yeah, cool. we would. Yeah, we had just uh, a couple weeks ago. We on this show we we uh, reviewed and uh, went over Godfather one and two, and we were all kind of saying this is really nice and everything, but you know, is it? But is he it wrote true? what he was told to write. Yeah, yeah, is it like yeah, exactly? So and the so, Godfather, Godfather was actually the life of four different guys, and one of them was my father because when Brando was approached on the drug business, that's why my father was killed. When Brando was approached on the drug business. He said, I, he passed. He said, if we touch it, our children will touch it. It'll be the downfall of the families. And he passed. My father said that. And my father controlled all the docks of the country. So he, he said, you're not bringing it on my watch. We didn't sign up for this business. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, definitely a lot more there. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, man, and talking to us. Yeah, no, it's great. You know, uh, we're a lot of this is going to come out, so might as well put it out there. It's, it's, uh, You've got a lot of things in the works. Uh, some some more movies, some more appearances. Obviously, the the studio in Nevada and the book and the series. Man, you've got a lot going on. Congratulations and good luck. Yeah, we're doing the best we can. Whatever the letters get away with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, That's Jack. All. Hope your audience appreciates us. Oh, I'm sure they will. We have a very wide range of listeners. So let's take a quick break and we will be back in a moment. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment and starting out with a couple of farewells. Um, Khalis Bayam, also known as Ronald Bell, uh, passed away last week at the age of 68, no cause of death given. Uh, Ronald Bell was a driving force with his brother, Robert Cool Bell, uh, in Cool and the Gang, um, band that started out in 1970 and for a while was known as the Jazzy Axe. Um, they go way back before those 80s hits, 50 years um, so he was a writer and producer and um, just very important for their sound. And also on Friday the 11th, uh, Toots Hibbert of the iconic Toots and the Maytals passed away in Kingston at the age of 77. No official cause of death was given, but he had been um, hospitalized for coronavirus. Um, New albums coming out in October. Uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, drops a new album with the E Street Band on October 23rd. It's called Letter to You. The title track is out now as a single. You can check it out on streaming everywhere. Um, kind of uniquely for this pandemic age we're living in, it was recorded live with the band all together in the studio with no overdubs in five days. Um, in contrast, Born to Run took 14 months. Um, the album has n nine new songs and three that he wrote um, all the way back before his uh, debut album, Greetings from Asbury Park in 73. 
And also, a week later, October 30th, U2 is releasing the 20th anniversary edition of All That You Can't Leave Behind, the album that spawned Beautiful Day and a whole bunch of other singles. Um, it's available as a single disc remaster or as the de jour almost for these uh, re-releases, the, the Bells and Whistles box set with the hardcover book and the 15 tracks and the outtakes and the b-sides and the live show and the etc 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 that you know the completest fans are going to want to have so a couple of new albums to look forward to next month this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show the blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com we'll catch you next time Cletus Jacobs and we're here on the station surviving the coronavirus. Since you guys are probably quarantined there down on Earth, I'll let you know uh, we got DC news, comics, television shows we're going to be talking about every week. Come join us every week on the Earth Station DCU podcast here on the ESO Network. In October 1989, 43 women around the world gave birth. None of these women had been pregnant when the day first began. How much do you want for it? I have adopted six children. Gifted with abilities far beyond the ordinary. I give you the Umbrella Academy. Does anyone wish to speak? He was a monster. Everything about our family is insane. It always has. Is that my skirt? Oh, yeah, this. It's very breathy on the bits. Nice to see nothing's changed. I jumped forward and got stuck in the future. Do you know what I found? Absolutely nothing. When's it supposed to happen? In eight days. There's someone out there who's trying to stop me from preventing the apocalypse. We need the full force of the Academy. Bingo. Yay, sisters. Yay, sisters. We're going. Where? Save the world. Oh, is that all? Hey there, everyone. Welcome back. Now it's time to talk about the Umbrella Academy. Yeah, this is a series that uh, both comic-wise and Netflix or series-wise, I have come through very late. Um, I've been aware of it, but it's only been in the last week that I've gotten all caught up, and I'm really glad I did. I've it's really going to be fun to talk about. Uh, we've got two folks here with us to, to talk all about Umbrella Academy. First of all, you might know her from her movie talk, her box office buzz, but she's here to talk some TV with us. Ashley Pauls is here. Thank you. I am super excited. I know that I'm more known as the movie girl, but 
uh, Umbrella Academy is one of my favorite TV shows. So I'm super pumped to talk about it tonight. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, things being what they are, uh, you know, I know that you've watched a lot more TV than movies. Yes. This, <laughs> this year this, has been this year. <laughs> good catch up on TV watching to say the least. And you know, the quality is right there. So oh, it's sure. not like, yeah, it used to be that that would be a, you know, a demotion for you to go to the TV, but now not the case. Uh, not at all. In fact, uh, I could say the opposite really. Um, but, uh, and we also have someone who hasn't been with us for a little while. John McCarthy is back. John, welcome back to the station, man. Aloha. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. You've been good. Uh, define good. <laughs> well, you're here. Breathing, kicking, yes, this is 2020. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, this is the age when, the year when you expect Godzilla to start walking through your town at any second. Any moment now, any moment now, right? And don't say it because it's probably going to come through. <laughs> um, um, all right, so let's talk all about the Umbrella Academy. A lot to unpack here. Um, we'll start with you, Ashley. What's your experience with Umbrella Academy? Uh, did you read the comic? Were you familiar with it before it became a series? What, uh, what was your thoughts going in? My first introduction to the series was seeing the trailer for the new show on Netflix. Okay. And it looked really interesting. I'm really intrigued by stuff with quirky characters, sci-fi themes, twisty plots. So the trailer looked right up my alley. And normally I'm not much of a binge watcher. I like to spread out my TV viewing over time, but I watched the Umbrella Academy season one like pretty much all in one shot. I was stuck home from work sick and I couldn't do anything else but like keep watching the first season of that show because I was so desperate to find out what had happened. And it's one of those shows that after you finish it, you have to go out and tell everybody, you know, make sure you watch it. And my husband is not as into TV and movies as I am, but he really loved it too. So I will tell anybody I can about the Umbrella Academy, such a great show. And the second season was different, but I thought equally good in some new and exciting ways. Let me ask you this. I know you didn't read the comic or anything. Were you familiar with Gerard Way at all before this, the guy who created it? Because he's, uh, you know, in that, uh, uh, what's the chemical romance? My chemical, him, yeah, right? my chemical romance. That, that's yep. his man. Are you familiar with that band or music or anything? Not really. Comics and music are two areas that I uh, do not know as much about. I'm starting to dip my toe into comics a little bit more here, but I knew nothing aside from the trailer, which really grabbed me. So now cool. having seen the series, I would like to go back and read the comics just because the story and the characters are so good and so engaging. Yeah, yeah, that's always a good idea. Uh, John, what about you? What uh, What's your history with uh, the Umbrella Academy? Um, well, I'd seen the covers when they came out, but I didn't actually pick up any. And then I remember, I think Netflix threw, threw me a, a line saying, you might be interested in this. And so I bookmarked it. They do that. It. Yeah, they do that. <laughs> you, I might, think... you might also like. <laughs> <laughs> what type like that? Netflix knows me. And... Uh, <laughs> I bookmarked it, started watching it, and then I, I made a mistake about getting my wife hooked on it because then I had to wait to watch every episode with her. You know? Right. Uh, the only drawback being is that, you know, oh, not right now. Not to, no, can we put it? You know, so it took us a while to finish it off. We actually binged it the last couple of episodes right before the second season came out. And that was – um. Uh, that that was great because I really I enjoyed both seasons, but the I think I enjoyed the second season just a little bit more. 
Ah, very yeah. interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk all about it. Obviously, it's going to be difficult to get into the real deep, like you know, episode by episode connections here for two seasons, which are twenty episodes total. But you know, we'll give a we'll we'll allow some time for some overview. I think uh, some thoughts, and I definitely want to hear about your thoughts on the 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 first storyline, which I think is a um, called the um, Apocalypse Suite. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second storyline is Mike what's Dallas. You got the trade, <laughs> Dallas nineteen sixty. No, just called Dallas, right? Yeah, just called Dallas. Um, so, so Mike, uh, what what's your experience with the Umbrella? Academy? The Umbrella Academy I picked up from issue one when it first came out. And now, let me ask you this: Why did you? Were you were familiar with Gerard Way? Were you familiar with? Was it just an exciting series from Dark Horse coming out? I liked I liked my chemical romance was like okay they were trying to get back into what grunge was and it was they didn't succeed all that well but I'm not a huge fan of the band but uh, the video was pretty stunning and I'd had a lot of you know interesting listens to the music but actually I picked up the first issue at uh the request of Mike from mm. Titan Comics actually he was telling me about it. He says, Mike, you got to see this. The art is trippy. The, you know, characters are pretty cool. And he told me the premise of it. And so I picked up issue one and I literally picked up all the way through the end of the Dallas storyline. Gotcha. And then I dropped the series because he went quite a few years between between series also. It wasn't that they came out quickly right between right, right, each other. Right, right, yeah, because it's not an ongoing series. Uh, they did Apocalypse Suite, and I think there was a break, and then they did Dallas, and then I, are there more after Dallas? There's one more after it, and there's only three books, and he says he wants to do seven of them. Well, with his so, schedule, yeah. It's, so it's it's going to be... It's going to be yeah. quite some time. So he said he's just getting ready to start gotcha. number four. So, so. Uh, so you read the series. You were hooked on the series. Netflix announces that they're doing, they're bringing the series to life. You're, you're like skeptical. You're excited. What's, what's, what's your mindset? Skeptical because the characters in the because you're Mike Faber. Of course I am. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> of course I'm skeptical. But uh, truthfully, I didn't like a lot of the characters in the in the books and then I saw who they got to play the characters and it was more diverse than actually the comic because all the kids were all white in the comic and everything Uh, and it was a lot more interesting to see you know that class was a junkie and you know that rumor was you know african-american and she you know went out to become a hollywood star they didn't do any of that in there um i was very curious to see what space boy as they call him in the comic book (laughs) it's true number one so (laughs) and then and then of course you know the other the other characters you know didn't look anything like what they had planned and everything so it was real interesting to see uh the Professor, you know, or whatever you want to call him, Hargraves. Hargraves, Hargraves looks exactly like he did in the comic. Yeah, he he's spot on. Oh, he is so <laughs> spot on. And then uh, number five is also spot on. You know, spot on as in how he looked and everything. Except for in the comic, he's a lot shorter <laughs> and everything. But it's it's really cute 
you know, because like I'm showing on the camera, that's number five in the comic, what he looks like. So it's pretty awesome, you know, but you know how they, and it's neat to, and like, you know, number one has, you know, of course, you know, more of a gorilla body in the comic book and everything than he does. And they will talk about that, I'm sure. But then also to see when they showed the masks of Hazel and Cha-Cha on the the preview, I was like, I'm there. I am so there. (laughs) So it was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I was aware of of the book uh, when it came out. I mean, Dark Horse did their due diligence and made it really, really a thing in the comic industry. So, you know, it's Gerard Way, right? So anytime an outsider comes and writes a comic or has something to do with a comic you're you know you're going to get some excitement there um uh i do like the art of gabriel ba a lot mm-hmm. oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, i think he's i think he's a yeah he's gorgeous yeah it's a gorgeous book um but i remember getting the free comic book day uh book that came out and i thought it was okay and i said well, i'll just pick this up and trade when it comes out and it's just one of those things that i just never got around to doing um and then they announced it as a series and i was like oh that's interesting and i mistake i don't know now that i've seen both of them maybe it's a mistake but uh i kind of in my head just kind of associated umbrella academy as like another doom patrol series kind of sort of Um, i could see that there are some similarities i mean there are some similarities both are unusual superhero groups uh that are not traditional family related um but doom patrol is much weirder and much more adult uh (laughs) yeah uh i thought umbrella academy would be too but it's not it's pretty pg-13 actually it's pretty accessible by by a lot of folks so um and yeah i'm not gonna keep comparing the two but that but in my head i just thought okay well that's and i think a a lot of part of that too is because gerard way wrote a doom patrol series a two three years ago from vertigo Mm -hmm. so um so uh i thought well that makes sense i mean they're they're green lighting both of these series because of his involvement um so i but it took me a while to watch um so finally because we were doing this episode it gave me the reason to just go sit down and binge them so i binged two seasons in about 10 days which uh uh, i didn't need the ninth day uh (laughs) i mean it only took me like nine or uh, like eight because i like you said ashley i mean i was like yeah i'm gonna keep watching this um uh, i read the first trade um and so i i read it after i watched the season uh the first season and I have to say that I think writing-wise, the first season is better written than the first trade. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Very much so. Um, so, uh, but that just could be because I'm looking at it from reverse, how it happened, right? Like, if you read the series, you know, um, I think it's beautiful looking, but the characters aren't, as you as you pointed out, Mike, in the comic, the characters aren't as well-defined. And the plot is not as well executed. Uh, oh exactly all that stuff with uh uh, sorry all that stuff with vanya is not as well executed in the comic because she gets she goes heel like in the second issue i think in the comic well after one fight with her family it's like okay i'm joining the bad guy (laughs) and everything exactly but it was it was interesting because i agree with you completely this 
the story for the TV show is so better flushed out. It it, it makes yes. it makes more sense. But they combined also aspects from the second trade into right. the first story of the first season with the, with the time bureau or commission or whatever. Well, they call exactly. It and so it was real interesting because Hazel and Chacha were all in the second story. They weren't in the first book. Yeah, I was going to say, yep, yeah, right. And everything. And so it was real interesting. And so, yeah, I liked, I actually liked the characters so much more in the books than the books into the TV show. So they didn't even, in, right. the, in the comic book, they didn't even really have anything about Ben. And Ben was a major character in the in both seasons. Yep, yep. And you know, we'll talk about the uh, yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about the character. Let's jump right in. Um, there's obviously the the seven uh, children, right? Or yeah. yeah, six of them are on the team. Uh, and then you've got Hargreaves himself. You've got um, uh, you've got uh, a very unusual um, parenting crew. With Hargreaves to take care of the children. Yeah. Um, well, Hargreaves is not a parent at all. <laughs> no. Um, and that's slightly that's slightly different from the comic. Uh, Mom, uh, as far as I know, mother's not in the comic. Uh, at least not in the first volume. Yes, she is. First trade. She is actually. Is she? Yeah. She's not as strong as okay. a character. She doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't have. Yeah, she doesn't have. As, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, um. So. Ashley, what what did you think of like what characters pulled you in? Did you connect with right away, or did enjoy watching it? This is one of those shows where I actually felt compelled by pretty much all of the characters, and so it's hard to pick a favorite. But if I had to narrow it down to just two, I would say it would be Klaus and Ben. I think their dynamic is just so interesting, particularly in the second season when Klaus is mm-hmm. Ben's window into the world and just the unique bond between them. And one of the things I like about Klaus is that at first he's kind of a funny guy. He's used for comic relief, just out there doing wacky things. And then as this first season goes on, you just begin to see the layers of burdens that he is carrying and just how difficult his power is to be able to communicate with people who have passed on and just the grief and the pain that he has to deal with. There's so much depth to that character that it's really hard to process. And I think there's depth to each of the characters here. You know, you get their surface level, but once you go beneath that, the things they went through growing up in such a dysfunctional household. And one of my favorite that yes, yeah. Someone probably oh, should yeah. have called social services a long time ago on that family and had those children taken away. But <laughs> beside that point, um, I just I really like stories that take kind of that dysfunctional family element and then you kind of create a found family of different people coming together and healing their hurts and looking out for each other, which I think they managed to do despite the fact that they had this terrible upbringing and were treated terribly by their father figure. And so it was cool to see them work together and look out for each other throughout the two seasons. 
Were you familiar with any of the cast uh, uh, before watching this? Um, I think obviously the big name that was selling it was Ellen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously she's got a pretty good history. So, um, hey, dude, she's, uh, a, she's the, an X-Men. Have you seen the X-Men? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, she, she's quite familiar with dealing with mutant powers. I, although I did think, you know, going in, I was like, oh, and she's the one that doesn't have powers. But um, oh, so I thought fool. that was kind of an interesting. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> I, look, I. I was yeah, going to say, I love that twist so much because you're wondering, you're thinking, there's something about Vanya, but I, she doesn't have powers. So what's going on here? And then, like, as you slowly realize what's happening, it's just like one of those, oh my gosh, like mind blowing moments when you realize, like, she's the most powerful one of all of them. She just has all that repressed. So this show has the best plot twist. It, I was joking with someone, you watch one episode and think, man, I can't believe we're only one episode in. How can this get crazier? And lo and behold, it does. It just keeps getting bigger and <laughs> wackier. But the characters in the heart, I think, manage to keep it grounded and keep it believable. It's like, hold on, hold my beer. Subtitle. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that should be the subtitle of it. Should be called Apocalypse Suite, or there's something about. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, John, what about you? What was your? Uh, did you like? Were you familiar with any of the cast, or what did you think? What what characters pulled you in? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, you know, uh, the big guy from Black Sails. Oh right, right, right. right. Yeah, Luther, yeah. Um, the, the guy who played Luther, yeah. right? Ben Cooper. Yeah. Um, or Tom Hopper, sorry, not Tom, Tom Hopper. Hopper. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and Vanya. I mean, obviously those two. But it's funny. But I went in mostly blind. I mean, I, mean, I read that and then I forgot about it going in. And if you if you start to dissect this on the surface, it's like in a lot of ways, a lot of this is new. I mean, Mike, you were saying it's almost a combination of uh, you know uh, Doom Patrol and X Men. You know, mm-hmm. which 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 it really could be. I mean, a lot of the stuff, uh, alternate timelines, history hopping. As genre fans, we've seen all this before, right? But what hooked me was the characters, the representation it was the characters, the um, the uh, the way everything was shot, and the way the use of music throughout. I mean, that scene that everyone talks about in the first season, where they pull back and there's almost like a cutaway of the house making it almost like a comic page. We've seen them all dancing at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was just. Uh, that was interesting. I mean, I, the thing that made it interesting to me was really the uh, the characters, because uh, like so we've seen a lot of this before, and it only deepened from there. I mean, the whole Vanya track was awesome. You know, you knew something was up, but they did they really they really pulled attention on that f- for a, a full season. Um, her creepy boyfriend, her <laughs> 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 creepy, he's really scheming. Oh, he was he was um, a creep right from the very beginning. Yeah, from the beginning, but then the, those little moments when his facade dropped, like, ooh, you know. Um, so, yes, for me, I, I, I enjoyed all the characters, I think, in many respects. Each one, if you pulled one out, again, not having read the comics, so th- thankfully the uh, uh, seeing those stronger individuals on screen made a, made me a fan from the get-go. Absolutely, absolutely. I will admit that in the first episode, you know, when when Five reveals that, something caused the apocalypse and there's one 
you know, there's one member of the family that doesn't show powers. I'm like, that's who causes the epoch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I was pretty much like, so like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm aware of the dark Phoenix saga. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, like it was like, something uh, all original that they were going for. Yeah, you know? No, 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 did, no, did no. You see the last few uh, seasons of, of agents of shield. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Like, who could it like be? Like you said, John, it, it, we've seen a lot of this stuff before. We've seen time travel. We've seen mutant powers. We've seen dysfunctional superhero families. We've seen uh, tyrannical almost, you know, or distant uh, father figures for these, for these groups of superheroes before. Eddie Dearest. Lot, yeah, a lot of, uh, whether it's Chief or whether it's Professor X or even Magneto, that kind of thing. Like, you know, that, that's there, right? But, but this, re- I have to admit um, that even though the writing is is stronger, I think in the series that Gerard Way put together an interesting concept that was actually developed even better and fuller as a show, and and repackaged a lot of the influences that Gerard had with all the stuff that he grew up with, and was obviously a fan of, and really put it together in a package that. Yeah, it seemed fresh and new. Yeah, the whole first season made me want to go after donuts. That's all I had to say. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so the I don't one know, part that was a pretty the, dangerous place. Oh god, yeah. Yes. One part early on that that uh, I found depressing was they make it in, in 1989, like that was so long ago. I'm thinking, yes, yes, I guess it <laughs> well, was. Well, actually, oh. it was, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's it's interesting. 1989, 43 women get pregnant. And out of nowhere, they have they they give birth to children. They did that so well, and for them to show it in mm-hmm. Russia, and I'm assuming that was Vanya that was born there, that they showed. Yeah, I, I haven't really made that connection mm-hmm. and gone back and checked that out. But I mean, obviously, that did make an impression with me too, because I was like, okay, so there's 43 of them. He gets seven. I mean, he pretty much buys them. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's no. He, it's not like he's taking them in out of the goodness of his heart. He he flat out buys these kids, um, and for a purpose, uh, which is kind of developed throughout this course of the series. But I think next season we're going to really see that. Yeah, yeah. You're going to yeah, see it more next it. season. But you know, in the comic, they go into it a little bit more, and they said all 43 did not survive. You know, the births. Uh, right, right. I mean, but you knew that some others did, and they oh, yeah. come into play at some point. And you know, second season that comes into play. Oh, big time! We finally, we finally meet another one, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is cool. Um, Mike, so what about you? What were there any particular characters that uh, that rang true for you? Well, all of them. I thought, no, <laughs> truthfully, it it was it was fascinating cuz yes being familiar with the comic book i knew who the characters were but the story was so different from what the comic book was based on and so it took a whole mm. different direction the whole thing you know and it, the whole thing showing the you know the thing between luthor luther and also with allison you know the relationship that between the two of them that wasn't in the comic uh the whole thing you know diego yes he was a vigilante in the comic but he also was had only one eye in the comic so it was just it's interesting to see and klaus is completely is not a drug addict and not you know he's a he's a superhero in the comic and so it's it's just interesting to see the differences and 
Klaus was to me very tragic, completely mm-hmm. tragic, you know, because he did the drugs and to fr- hear the dead people trying to talk to him and everything. And the scene where he died and he went to heaven and saw his f- father there at the barber shop. And it was, it was just awesome. And, you know, you haven't been using your powers properly. You've been wasting them. You know, you're becoming a waste and everything. And it was just, he was going to heaven, hoping to see his lover yes. from Vietnam. And it ended up being his father trying to get in touch with him and, you know, letting him know everything that's going on. And it was pretty well, that was such a well done scene. And then same thing with the second season with Dallas doesn't have anything to do with this other than the assassination of Kennedy of the same story, pretty much, you know, so it, they really didn't do it. You know, I loved so much about these two seasons and they kept me riveted. I've watched both twice already and It was awesome. Well, I had to watch the first one because Judy didn't remember watching it the first time. But that's 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 another. (laughs) Hey, you know what? That works in your favor. You know what? I I was going to say it's going to and who it's a good excuse to have to rewatch. Well, exactly. I'm sure you didn't mind at all. Exactly. So let me ask you: if with I think they they amped up the humor in season two. Do you think it's going to amp up even more in season three? Are they going to level off or ratchet it back? What do you, what do you think the direction is going to go for? That's a good question. That's around. a good question because I did like the humor, but they touched on so many political and social issues in this second season, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, tying into a lot of the gay rights, a lot of what's going on. Yeah. The stuff with Klaus and his um, basic, his followers was was great yeah. was great that was just genius and then you know and ben you know being the ghost form you know helping him you know prove his powers by lifting him in the air and stuff like that that was just awesome and then him taking over class's body was great too well i i will agree that uh i think all the characters shine uh, are given spots to shine and they shine really well and they're all really developed well. And, and, and it, I do want to give special attention to a few, I mean, we've already mentioned uh, Ellen page, but uh, you know, the Vanya storyline, you know, she's the one that, 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 that is always billed first in the credits and everything like that. She's probably getting paid most. So you kind of, she's bringing people in hopefully. Um, so in that first storyline all revolves around Vanya uh, mainly, I mean, she's the big bad, right? Like she's, she's, she turns out to be the bad guy. And still, um, even though it wasn't a surprise to me where it was going, it was so well developed and the way Ellen Page plays it. I mean, she, she's perfect for the role. She's perfect for that character, the way it's written. Uh, she seems to have a face that you know, that you just naturally want to like, just go oh <laughs> i know but you also, you, know? you also have to bl- you completely have to blame luther for throwing her into the soundproof yeah. room if he would have just talked to her and you know reasoned with her <laughs> poor poor luther maybe, there was a good chance she we wasn't going to go but... psycho pirate on her and on everyone... no, in this family there's also a good 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 reason to believe that if they talk to her they'd muck it up even worse 
Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, uh, and speaking of the rest of the family, uh, you know, we mentioned um, Klaus and uh, Robert Sheehan is is now a star, in my opinion. Uh, he took this character, as Mike pointed out in the comics, he's there, but he's not really well defined. But he takes this and Klaus, it might be Ellen Page's show. But Klaus steals every scene he's in. Oh God! Every yes. scene he's in, he steals it, um, and and not in a mean way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's not like you know, he's not like overselling it or anything like that. It's just he's so engaging to watch, so fascinating, so unlike any you know, certainly superhero person we've ever seen before. Um, and I think it was you who pointed this out, Ashley, too. There's a, yeah, you first think he's just a drug addict and he's a loser, but you find out through the course of his story that his powers are, take such a toll on him that that's his only choice. Like he cannot, he cannot deal with it. It's just too much. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really powerful that, you know, you're like, at some points you're like yelling at the other characters like why don't you get it like he's he has problems because <laughs> because he can't handle this what he does is not what it's not just like he's not just strong and able to throw people around i mean he has to deal with the dead and and yeah. being haunted every day you know like that's that's gonna suck oh i know i almost was expecting like diego to have like a batman voice that's right we gotta get up <laughs> <laughs> he he is the batman template uh you know as is uh you know luther is the superman template you know in your super team right so you've got your man of steel you've got your vigilante hero so you've got those two um, the other one I wanted to shine a light on too, because I just thought he was brilliant, was I think it's Aiden Gallagher, Aiden Gallagher right? yeah. as number five. My God, this kid! Like, it's one thing to be a like to be a child actor, but to to have to play someone who's the oldest and most mature of the group, and to do it do it so convincingly. Yeah. Um, and you were he, saying Robert Sheehan steal scenes. I think he came close. Oh, yeah, no, number time. five. Absolutely. Number five yeah. was awesome. And you know, the, from the very first scene when he went to go get coffee at the donut shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was and he's and, he's in short pants the whole time. I know he he wears the same outfit the whole time. When he went back to the room to, after he was all bloody and everything, he opened his closet, and it's all the cost it's no regular clothes in there it's all the school cost you know suits and everything that they've been keeping for 30 years in that closet for him and everything and that was just awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. it's just he, that's all he has to wear and that's all we're probably ever going to see him wear mm-hmm. is this uniform um and and yet in the scenes when he met himself in 1963 <laughs> was just <laughs> awesome yeah the fight was awesome yeah yeah you, you know, I, you get worried. Well, not worried, but you're like, okay, so they hired a guy just to ver one scene to play him as an older him, right? Just so that we could see what he looked like older. But the fact that that guy that they got could could act and and come back in season two and have those great scenes with him where he's fighting himself is just a bonus. It's like that's that's great. You honestly believe that he's fighting himself? Yes. <laughs> I love um, how they, they both really tried to uh, to play Luther. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, they should know Luther's just too dumb to be played. 
Yeah. Yeah, Luther yeah. is just such an idiot throughout this whole two seasons. And, you know, it's just like, I just kept on rubbing my head. Oh, don't. Big heart, small brain. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, and yep, that's, super, yep. that's Superman right there. But he kept on running his mouth, especially when he ran his mouth to the older, well, technically younger five. Because <laughs> in 1963, the old man was the right. younger version of him. And it's true. By seven days. By seven right? days. Yeah, yeah. I'm you seven days older. It's like, what? <laughs> it was just like, but it was like he ran his mouth and you know, what's going to be happening in the future? And you know, it's like, oh Vanya's Vanya's gonna destroy the the planet. And so he knows because that was one of the things he did the whole first season was trying to figure out what destroys the earth, you know, pretty much, what destroys yeah. civilization. Now he knows. And so does that create a different reality or, you know, I think, I think season two kind of made things clear that they've changed time. Oh, you think? Yeah. yeah. So, (laughs) so the way time travel works in this show, time can be changed uh, at least certain points. Um, So go ahead. Sorry, Mike. No, go ahead. No, so I wanted to get to it, John, because you kind of pointed this out uh, when you were talking about your overview. Season one, season two, what were your thoughts about each season, uh, just at your overview? And did you like one season more than the other, Ashley? I would say both are really strong. They're different from each other, which I appreciate. They didn't just try to like copy mm-hmm. and paste what worked in season one. I think the first one is my favorite just because I love getting to know this world and meeting the characters, but I really love how they mix things up, sent people back to the past and use that to grow and develop the characters. And of course the music that they bring in the music in the show, the use is just on point all the time. I it's, it's good stuff. So I think this is one of those rare shows where both seasons are very different, but equally good, I I would say, even though the first one is my personal favorite by just a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And John, you pointed out that you prefer the second season because um, they definitely... Slight edge. <laughs> slight edge, okay. Um, what, what makes you lean that way? Um, again, I think because the, the humor, they amped it up a little more. Um, the uh, Them dealing with the same ground, the same temporal ground over and over again, trying to make it work. Um, it's almost like by – whereas the first one was jumping around you know, a few decades here and there, maybe back and forth. This was in the same town, the same week, the same few days, over and over again, and they couldn't pull it together because they're such a dysfunctional group. I mean it was – and also uh, circling with the sharks for the uh, – uh, I mean, it was 1963, so you know you you couldn't be gay, you couldn't be black, you couldn't be female without you know having to deal with somebody who was going to tell you you could you were in in the wrong. Um, on top of that, they're trying to save the world. I I, I just enjoyed it. It, it. It seemed to move a little bit faster. Uh, maybe the first one was shot a little darker, and this one was a little bit brighter. I don't know, but I like again. I love both seasons, but I like as as Ashley said, I appreciate that they're different. They didn't rehash the same thing twice. Um, and I think, yeah, the second one, I like maybe, maybe hair more, you know? Yeah, they, they didn't rehash the, but in some, in a lot of ways they did, you know, because right away in the first episode of the second season, uh, first of all, we get that awesome shot of what it would be like if they were on, on the same page, 
right? Like, yeah. if this group was like <laughs> the superhero group, like the X Men or something, they would be unstoppable. Well, unless there was a nuclear, you know, explosion. <laughs> then, details, then, then details. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it's almost like we get a tease of like this is what they could be if they just could get their you know act together together, right? Um, but. Uh, but I love the fact that in the second one, you know, right away it's established there's an apocalypse. Um, and it's like, okay, well, who, you know, we have to investigate. We have to stop the apocalypse again. And we've got a few days to do it. And it's, so it's, it's very much like the first season that way. And it's like, okay, well, the first season we know it was Vanya that caused the apocalypse. Is it Vanya this time? And it turns out, yes, it is. It's Vanya <laughs> this time as well, uh, but in an entirely different way. You know, an entirely different way. It's almost like they reversed the arc. Like, whereas first time they slowly revealed who she is and what she could do. Now you knew who she was, but you're afraid what's going to happen when she gets her memories back. Yeah. You know, as, as, they, as they peel apart that onion, what's going to happen? And then, you know, you find out. That's a good way to put Mike, it. Mike, what about you? Oh, it's, ha- it's hard to you? say because I loved the first season because, A, it introduced all the characters to everybody. And it laid the groundwork. And it also had Hazel and Cha-Cha as the, you know, <laughs> and they, I don't even consider them the main villain at all no. and everything. And they're like the, like in the bond, like even just to, to use the bond analogy, they're like the boss villain. Yeah, yeah. They, they are. And, and like- it's, it was interesting because you had <laughs> the subplot with the agency coming to get number five. And that was what set up the whole, you know, cha-cha and hazel part and they were so good and because in the comics you never saw them without the masks and to be able to see their their story building also and you know then for hazel to actually kind of become you know on the side of angels quote unquote you know because he fell in love with the donut girl and so but it was it was fun with that and i'm sorry mary j blige was awesome as Cha Cha, she don't be sorry. No, that no, she <laughs> she was she was amazing. I've never seen her act in anything before. This was the first time ever I'd, I've seen them. Yeah, I think me too. And she was amazing. She was great. Um, and it was just it was awesome, and it was really cool to see that. And then the second season. The family is so frippin' dysfunction, they can they can't even walk out of a door together, you know, type thing. And they can't even get together in like ninety minutes to go home. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're we're backing out of the driveway. Don't be late. Yeah. They, they couldn't do no, it. No, exactly. And it was like there were so many ways, but I felt like I grew closer with the family in the second season. You learned more. I felt like this was Vanya's time to shine because she didn't remember what she had done you know destroyed the planet and you know the moon and everything like that and so she was like live and i thought she she was a very likable character in the second one i felt like poor vanya poor vanya in the first one this one i thought she was Mm -hmm. more of a rounded character i loved you know in the second one luther was working for jack ruby Come on, the coincidence is there, folks. You know, <laughs> no, coincidence. no coincidence. And then, you know, the whole thing, uh, you know, Allison going through the whole civil rights thing. And it was, ju- it was just awesome. There was so much fun in this. And then the whole thing, 
you know, that we had, you know, with Diego and the girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. which was, you know, that was pretty awesome. And the whole time they were in the asylum, I kept on thinking of the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest and everything like that. It just yeah. Oh, yeah, gave sure. me that kind of feel to it. And it was really well done. The only thing that took me out of the season, truthfully, was the sweets. I don't think they were strong enough as bad guys. You're right. Yeah, when you have uh, Hazel and Cha-Cha as your henchmen in the first season, and then you follow that up with the three Swedes in the second season, it is a little... uh, It's a step down. mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a step down. Exactly. And it was kind of disappointed. And then the whole thing, you know, God, the whole thing there that you had with Klaus and his cult was just awesome. And he kept on trying to escape the cult, which was even more funny. And he was using don't don't go climbing waterfalls, you know. And it was just like, and it was just like, oh. And they were all like, oh. And then Allison recognizing the guy, where did you get? How did you write that thing on your hand? Oh, let me tell you about this great being I know. It was just awesome. Uh, very much so. I I concur. Um, I think. The the first season is is a great way to be introduced to the show, and it's more personal than the second season um, because you're you're really um, it really the the whole plot involves around Vanya and her personal struggle to try to be you know to deal with who she's becoming, and and what you know being the prime example of the the dysfunctional life that this family had. Um, So everybody else is more of a supporting character in the first one, I think in the first season. And then the second season, they're all their own, I think. And, and, and it, it makes them come together a lot more and you, and you get to learn about them a lot more as, 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 as people. Um, And to your point, John, I think one of the things that was brilliantly executed, what a great time for them. Like, you know, when they were discussing, well, I, I know it's based on the comic, but you know, that time period for them to try to do their jobs or just to survive. Each one of them has to deal with these, like, because the sixties was all like all this social political upheaval. Yeah. And so they all have these obstacles that way, except for Klaus, who seems to be like just riding high on it. I mean, literally like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, so uh but you know i i think uh i think the real star of of season two has to be uh um uh, is it norm or herb herb right what's his name the 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 guy from the the commission that uh ends up at the end sort of leading everybody like he's the one acting leader <laughs> right yeah that guy, like, that guy is, like, kind of a joke character in the first season. We see him for, like, a scene in the first season, and you're kind of thinking, oh, he's this loser guy or whatever. Man, credit to them, because they give them this huge storyline in the second season that comes out of nowhere, and he totally aces it. He's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he was awesome, and I love how he was the one who was trying to start the revolution at the agency <laughs> and everything. And it's interesting, the, act, <laughs> the actor also does the most stop motion for Pogo. That's cool. Also. That's wild. Oh, is that the same guy? Yeah. 
Oh wow! They're about that. the they're about the same height, so it made sense actually. <laughs> well, that uh, yeah. So now we just want to know what you guys are looking forward to in season three. Um, I think it's been announced, right? We're getting. Oh, you are definitely time. getting. Season. So it was, it, they announced um, it the week after okay. it premiered. Gotcha. So of course, uh, you know, we get a teaser. Uh, the season two ends with them back in uh 2020 or 2019 or wherever they left and uh things are a little different <laughs> of course <laughs> butterfly effect and one. all that um so uh so what do you want to see from i think that show's gonna be called uh sparrow academy yep <laughs> i think that changed the name to the sparrow academy next season um what do you want to see from umbrella academy versus sparrow academy ashley honestly i just love the fact that no matter how hard they try they keep messing up the timeline in new and different ways so i kind of hope they continue to just play with that throughout the whole season i'm really looking forward to seeing how they interact with alternate versions of themselves, kind of how that may have changed or been different. I'm curious to find out more about maybe this mysterious circumstances of their birth. I don't believe to this point the show has explained why all these women gave birth on the same day. So I'm I'm curious to see how that may or may not get folded into there and I'm just curious to see how the family is going to fix things or make it even worse with this crew. Most, who likely, knows. The, most likely the second part, what you just said. <laughs> and who knows, maybe 2020, maybe we're living season three of the Umbrella Academy right now. They've tried to fix something and it's all bad. So <laughs> they can only make it better. Instead of damn it, Barry, it's damn it five. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, what's interesting if you want, if you know this, that if you look at it, this is both the same as the comic and also the TV show. All the characters in the family have names except for number five. He's just yes. five. I thought, well, I was wondering if that's because, well, in the series anyway, I was wondering if that's because he left before he could get like a nickname. No, the other one. He left when he was pretty young. No, the others had, you know, were already calling themselves, you know, gave, gave themselves names. Because he was supposed hmm. to be like 10 when he left. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I did, yeah, I couldn't, I didn't know if that was the case. But uh, yeah, I just figured he left before they could give him a nickname. Um, but uh, so, John, what about you? What, what do you want to see uh, season three? Oh, I think first I'm trying dying to see the backstory of a uh, father. Uh, they, they, you think he's one thing, and then the more again, the more season two went on, you you see he's got dealings everywhere, and uh, he, no one knows completely what he's up to. You know, yeah, I think we want to see more of that, and I'd love to see now how how they can screw up the timeline again with uh, especially when I'm guessing that the main power opposition is going to be the Sparrow Academy. I'm getting, you know, they're, they're probably going to try and get back in father's good graces. He doesn't either doesn't recognize them or doesn't care. And then he's going to have the new kids on the block, throw them out of the house. Oh, he recognizes them from 1963. Cause he's, but not in, not from the original timeline, I guess is having raised them on his own. No, right? Not at all. He, yeah. he rec- recognizes them as those meddlers from 1963, basically. I wonder now if they if they were part of the inspiration for him to do that, having seen them, and maybe he thought he could do it better. Good question. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, now that he's seen what losers, 
his kids are <laughs> as an adult he's like you know what i'm gonna adopt uh seven other kids <laughs> he might or the the other thing is if you remember when they went back to 1963 um they basically ruined um the relationship between him and the woman who he patterned the robot off Only a mom after, after the mom yeah, after and that she probably had a big influence on it because probably in the correct timeline they stayed together until she either passed away and then she built the he built the robot to you know in honor of her and everything is well we saw in the series that he built the robot because they went through tons of other but but she was she was they made it they made an automated one yeah but she she was such she was such a good you know influence so that he said this is what i need probably because he didn't have that in that and then he probably went off the deep end and he created the sparrow academy instead of the umbrella academy instead now is the do we have you read the third volume is it gonna it's it's, it's sitting it's it's sitting on my night table but the sparrow gotcha so academy is in it i do know that Okay, so okay. so that would give us a teaser of what the third season would probably going to be about. Don't go off of anything how, how that well... the books. Don't go off to anything that the books said. Because <laughs> well, I mean, it, I was going. This was so... going to ask how close did they adhere to the books one and two? Nope, not at nope. all, right? Eh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of differences. There's... It's not a straight up adaptation. No, and number right. in Dallas is far from it, and everything. Uh, the like the all the family doesn't even go back till towards the end of the book, and then. You know, when they go back to the 19, they were supposed to go back to 1963 to stop five from assassinating Kennedy. And it ended up, they ended up going to Vietnam in 1960. And they had to deal with the U.S. starting there. And they, and Diego actually becomes this, it becomes the character who has all the ties to the soldiers and everything instead of Klaus. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that's changed. Um, for me, uh, for season three, I just want to see Pogo back up and live and well. Aww. Um, <laughs> that was the, the, probably the hardest scene yeah. in season one is when, you know, I mean, I was kind of like still rooting for Vanya at that point a little bit, even though I, I mean, I could understand where she was going, but, and I knew why she turned on Pogo because Pogo had to stellar straight up, he knew, but still, his fate uh, was really hard to, you know. And kudos yeah. to them. Again, CG quality, right? Um, I mean, the, the quality of the CG work that's done now is incredible, and you feel for Pogo just as much as you would for any any living creature. Um, and uh, and uh, I do want to straighten things out in case we get like emails or whatever. Uh, Pogo is uh, modeled and voiced off uh, Adam Godley and the character of Herb is played by Ken Hall. So it is two different people, um, two great people, yes. um, but uh, two, two people nonetheless. And, uh, and, and they're both amazing. Everybody on the show is amazing. I, I uh, don't know if I want to read I think I'll read. I think I'll go on doing what I'm doing now. What I did with the first one, I read. I watched the first season. I'll read the first volume of the comic. Now that I've seen the second season, I'll read the second volume of the comic, and I'll wait until the next season to read the comic because I don't want any inadvertent spoilers, even as even as different as they might be. Because I hate to watch it and keep in my head comparing. Well, this isn't like it is in the comic. Yeah, so. that would drive me crazy. Right. I just rather watch it and just have fun with it the way because this show is a lot of fun. Uh, it's got a lot of heart. 
a lot more heart than I was expecting, um, really, to be honest with you. I mean, it's crazy, but there's, uh, you know, there's a family dynamic and there's characters that are that really care about each other in this. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where they go from here. Oh, except for the handler. She's only out for herself, basically. <laughs> yeah, I find it hard to believe that we haven't seen the last of her. Mm-mm. Somehow she's going to be back again. So we'll see. In some form. Yeah, in some form. So, well, very cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, to talk about the Umbrella Academy. That was a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll have you back when season three airs, whenever that gets made. And, you know, so we'll see you back here maybe another five years. I don't know. What. Oh, bite your tongue. <laughs> the way things are going. I, I would I know, feel right? bad for the poor kid who has to pay number five, you know, because <laughs> he he's not supposed to age now. I know. Apparently he's a pop star or something. He's, he's got a record. He's multi-talented, yeah. 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 So I don't know. His music doesn't look like it's my kind of thing, but man, I'm impressed with his acting ability. He when he comes he on young. the screen, he's, he's he owns it. Yeah. He owns it. And uh such a great job. Such a great job. Mm-hmm. And uh all right. So we will be back to close out the show right after this message. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the horror movie, The Host. I'm always on the lookout for fun horror movies to watch, and many to me are just not scary anymore because they focus too much on gore or violence, and that just isn't scary to me. I had heard a lot about a new movie called Host that was released in July on Shudder, and I kept hearing a lot of good things about this film, that it was one of the best found footage films out there, and that it was scary. So I gave it a watch, and holy cow, this movie is wonderfully creepy. Host is a British found footage movie that takes place during a Zoom call between friends who decide to have a seance during quarantine. Now, many of the friends in the call aren't taking the seance seriously, and because of this, they end up releasing an angry spirit, and strange things start to happen in each of the friends' homes. This movie relies on a lot of atmospheric horror, as well as some great acting. It was also really cool to learn that each actress applied their own prosthetics since they were all in quarantine when they filmed this movie. The makeup person sent them the pieces and showed them how to apply it over a Zoom call. This film was quick to jump on the pandemic, being a good source for horror, as it came out at a very relevant time, too. Host is creepy in all the good ways. It's filmed entirely on Zoom, which is a really cool way to have to make a movie in a time when filming together is just not going to happen. And, you know, I would highly recommend checking it out if you want a good spooky movie to watch that is rather different from other horror movies coming out. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, It's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. 
So let's go wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here. John McCarthy, you have returned to the station. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's not keep it so long next time. You know, we'll let you out of the airlock more often, so it's good. Good, because it's hard to breathe in here. <laughs> it is hard to breathe. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Hmm. It's funny. The, uh, the, the, I, I've already seen the first season when it was free on YouTube, but I just started watching with the family. I know everyone, a lot of people was talking about it, but my rant would be for, uh, uh, my rave would be for Cobra Kai. Oh, do tell. Something I thought would never work. <laughs> uh, how could, the, the fact that it works at all and works in a half-hour format is crazy to me. Uh, they pack a lot of storytelling into a into a half an hour, and it's 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 a fun ride. I've already seen season one, and now that it's on 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 Netflix, we're probably gonna go all through, and uh, the, the family is enjoying it as well. So that's my plug. Cool. They're gonna make you an offer that they you can't refuse. It's perfect. <laughs> I've, I heard it's a great, great show. I just haven't gotten into it yet. I just have so much stuff before that that I got to finish. Yeah, the uh, the only the stack of movies and things we want to watch is bigger than the stack of books on my nightstand. I know. It's oh, crazy. trust me, I know. Thank you, thank you, and Miss Ashley Pauls. As always, it's a oh. wonderful treat to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for making some room for me on this podcast. As soon as I heard you were doing Umbrella Academy, I really wanted to be a part of it. Oh, you basically said, I am there. You didn't even give me a chance. (laughs) Say, oh, don't talk about Umbrella Academy without me, please. (laughs) Don't you dare talk about it without me. What are you going? No, 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 Faber. You are putting me there. Yeah, we don't want, we don't want to, we don't want uh, her to go all apocalyptic on us. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Don't make me use my Vanya powers. Exactly. She doesn't want her eyes to go all white. Uh oh, watch out. Oh my God, we didn't even talk. We didn't even talk about the kid getting the powers and everything in the second season. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's so much much we haven't touched to cover. We might have to revisit this again sometime. Ashley, anything you want to shout out about? Um, just I'm continuing to blog throughout this year, even though we don't have a whole lot of new movies over on the ESO podcast website. My post this week is about the Dune trailer. I'm really looking forward Ooh. to that movie whenever we may see it. I'm doubtful we'll see it this year, but who knows? No, I agree completely. It's like Wonder Woman just moved from the beginning of October till right now Christmas. But I think that's wishful thinking. Mm-hmm right now yeah i don't think things are going to improve by then so i'm looking forward to it whenever we'll get to see it oh i totally agree with that so that's high on my list too i know because it's like bond is coming wonder woman black widow someday you know so we'll have to see and now dune so dune looks beautiful it really really does looks incredible so good job and thank you for everything as always oh thank you and mr mike we made it through another one my friend we did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Oh, definitely. And anything you got a shout out about, sir? I'm going to dedicate my shout out uh, to the late Dame Diana Rigg. Uh, oh, yeah. Whether she, w- whether she was going to wherever she was needed with John Steed, uh, capturing the heart of 007 away from all the other Bond girls, uh, going toe to toe with Miss Piggy, uh, tormenting the doctor and his companion, Clara. Uh, poisoning annoying little monarchs or hosting mystery masterpieces. Uh, she always did it with class, sexiness, and spirit. Uh, she will be missed, although her work will live on. Wow. 
yeah, it, it was a big loss, and it, I didn't even know she was ill, or you know that you know it was. Yeah, a, I didn't even. So, oh, she she was a great great actress, and she will be missed. All right, uh, my shout out real quick is we got HBO Max, so we've been doing some catch up on a lot of things. The first thing okay. we did, we had to watch though on HBO Max is this wonderful documentary about an amusement park in New Jersey that John McCarthy oh, might be familiar with <laughs> called Action. It's the show is the documentary is called Class Action Park. And it is about this amusement park that started in the late seventies, early eighties in upper New Jersey and probably about 30 miles outside of New York city. And my God, it is like a true insane asylum. It is, it is nuts what they did at this place. And you were lucky to walk out of this amusement park with your life. It seemed like, (laughs) and I never made it. I saw commercials for it because they even aired commercials down in the DC area. And so for the amusement park. So it was just pretty amazing. And to be able to see this documentary, you're just going to sit there, go, no way, no way, no way. And it's all true. So please, you're just going to be fiberglass it's just it's just you know it's just it's just amazing to to watch it and folks i'm definitely curious to see what your your opinions of this thing is it is it is awesome but it's called class class action park it is awesome it really really worth checking out and speaking of mike uh i was gonna say uh, just to piggyback on that um gerald and them on the pop culture cosmos on the eso network talked to the co-director of that movie and episode 210, which came out last week. So if you're interested in class action park and hearing how it was made and, and all the weird stories about it, definitely check out uh, pop culture cosmos. Cause uh, they got a good scoop and talk to one of the co-directors. I listened to that interview the other day and it was like, and he said a lot of the stuff that they couldn't put into the movie, into the documentary was even more so. Then, you know, and so, <laughs> it's like, and it's like the stuff they were telling, you know, tank battles with flaming tennis balls, and, you know, people jumping motorboats on top of people, drunk, oh God, drunken race cars. And it was just one of the, one of the tamest rides they had. There was a, a go-kart on a, on a concrete track and there was no guardrail. People were shooting off the curve. You know, if you land in the grass, you were safe. You were safer, but you didn't. Not everybody did. It was that they stayed open as long as they did is is amazing. Oh, it, it was amazing. They were telling us stories like the go kart that you know could go up to if they jerry rigged it could go up to sixty miles an hour, and there's a freeway that went between the two parks parts of the park and it was an interstate and it literally people were taking these go karts at night out onto the interstate. And they had no lights or anything like that. And then there was a loop to loop. You know, they had a water, the first water slide that had a loop in it. And there was, and it was like, there was no water going down and people would lose, people would lose teeth and stuff on this thing. It was just, people would come out all bloody and everything. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. You got to watch it. It is just, amazing to see and definitely listen to that interview pop culture cosmos definitely worth listening to all right 
we are going to be back again next week. We are going to be looking at our friends from Red Dwarf. That's right, folks. The boys they're from back. the Dwarf, they're back. We're looking at Red Dwarf, The Promised Land, the newest release. They did a, Instead of doing a full season, which was only four episodes anyway, they're doing, they did a two-hour movie. And so it's pretty awesome, and I hear amazing things about it. I haven't seen it yet, so it's going to be a lot of fun to see our, our favorites, Lister, Cat, Crichton, and, of course, Rimmer. So, you know, it should be a lot of fun. So until then, my name is Mike Faber. On behalf of myself, Mr. John McCarthy, Ashley Pauls, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, we wish you all well, stay safe, and we will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we're done. Boom. Yay. Yay. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.